When a borrowed axe head sank to the bottom of a river, the prophet Elisha tossed a stick into the water. God caused the axe head to float to the surface. Get ready to get your spiritual edge back and experience God's ridiculous recovery. I am very thankful to have all of you with us at all of our life churches and those of you that we partner with at our network churches and in coffee shops and hotel rooms and maybe at your house on the other side of computers uh, all over the world at Church Online. Today we're looking at another week in the life of the prophet Elisha. I've called this message, Getting Your Spiritual Edge Back. Before we dive in, I wonder how many of you at all of our churches you're like me, you're often looking for things that you misplaced. How many of you would say you're often looking for things you misplaced? It totally and completely is making me crazy how much of my time I spend looking for things that I've lost. Amy says they're not lost, they're just misplaced. But if they're misplaced, to me they are lost. And all the time I'm looking for things, and the most frustrating part to me is so often I actually have them in my possession when I'm looking for them. This is crazy. I've looked for my sunglasses when they were on my head. I've looked for my car keys when they were in my mouth. I was actually on the phone with my phone in my pocket, my earbuds on, talking to someone when I was stupid enough to say, I'm looking everywhere and cannot find my phone. All of our churches, have any of you ever done something like that? Please, in the name of Jesus, tell me you have. Raise your hands. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's just, it, it makes me crazy. Well, what I want to do today is talk about losing something else. And there's a good chance for many of you who are followers of Christ that you've actually lost something spiritual in nature. Some of you may have lost a passion for God or the things of God that you used to have but don't today. Some of you have lost some joy. There used to be just this, this deep, settled, spiritual contentment and joy that somehow along the way you've lost and you're not quite sure how you've lost it. Some of you at one time had great faith and you prayed and prayed and believed God for big things and you had hope in a God who was good that had plans to bless you and prosper you and today, you're not praying for much of anything, and you're not even sure what you believe about all of this. You had something very important spiritually, but you lost it along the way. As we look at the prophet Elisha, let me remind you where we've been. In week one, we talked about burning plows. Week two, we talked about digging ditches. Week three, we talked about gathering jars. Today, though, we're going to look at what honestly is one of the oddest miracles in all of the Bible. In fact, if you look through and survey the different miracles that Elisha performed, there were some really big and important miracles. He healed um, a poisoned body of water, which kind of saved a community. He raised a boy from the dead. 
He provided for a widow who would have lost her two sons after losing her husband. He healed um, Naaman, 2 Kings 5, a commander uh, of leprosy after dipping in the river. Uh, He blinded an entire army to move forward the things of God in a battle. He did all these significant things. And in this miracle, we're going to look at basically kind of a seminary student who borrowed an axe and was chopping on a tree when the axe head flew off of the stick into the water, and Elisha, the man of God, takes a stick, throws it in the water, and the axe head floats, and we go, wow, but what's the meaning of this? He made an axe head float, and you're kind of like, that's cool and everything, but I don't really see all the significance. Well, let me give you a couple things uh, that are significant to me, and then we'll dive into the story. Uh, One thing you need to know is that iron was very valuable at this time. It was hard to come by, and this uh, prophet who was studying, this younger guy who lost the axe head, was likely very poor. He was kind of like a college student living on student loans, eating ramen noodles. Some of you know what I'm talking about right now. And he had borrowed this axe head, and so he couldn't pay it back uh, he, he was what we call a non-profit prophet. You see what I'm saying? W- work with me, because I don't have any Rodney jokes this week, and so I need you to work with me. Speaking of Rodney, he is still available, and if anybody want to get, you want to get in on the Rodney raffle, just let me know, and we can hook you up. So, so anyway, this guy doesn't have much, and he loses this axe head, and then we see the man of God bring the axe head back, which shows us very clearly that our big God actually cares about the little details in our lives, which is very comforting to me. No matter what you're going through, if you have a headache, God cares. If you've got a chemistry test coming up, God cares. If your car won't start again in the morning, God cares. If you're on the phone when you can't find your phone, God's laughing, but he cares. Our God cares about even the little things. Now, let's dive into this story and see some other um, valuable principles that we can pull out of this. And again, let me just help you understand the context. If you remember, Elisha was mentored by Elijah, and now we see Elisha mentoring the next generation of young prophets who wanted to learn from him. And so there's all these younger prophets who are like, man, you know, you're the man, can I study with you? And so Elisha built a school for prophets and there were so many of them that they actually outgrew the school. That's where we pick up the story in 2 Kings 6, uh, starting in verse one, which reads, the company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. It's time for a building campaign, verse two. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place for us to meet. And he said, go. Then one of the students said, won't you please come with us, your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. Now here comes the action, don't miss it. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. So we've got chop, 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 whoop, whoo, 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 plop. I can do it again, <laughs> but I don't want to blow you away with my sound effects. So, oh no, my Lord, he cried out. Notice the young prophet did not say a bad word, but he said, oh no, my Lord, it was borrowed. 
the man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick, threw it there, and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. The man reached out his hand and took it. Now, besides God caring about the little details, there is one major point I want you to embrace internally that we're gonna come back to again and again in this message. If you're taking notes, here's what I hope you will see. God knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. Those of you who lost something spiritual in nature, be reminded that we serve a God who is totally into restoration. Our good God knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. Now, as we talk about losing the axe head, losing the edge, what I want to do is I want to show you metaphorically how this could apply to your spiritual life and teach it symbolically. The big question I want to ask you is this, how have you lost your spiritual edge? For those of you that are Christians, be real honest and say, how have you lost your spiritual edge? And some of you may say, well, really, I haven't. And if that's you, I celebrate with you and thank God for you. And continue to do what you're doing that keeps that spiritual passion high. But it is my guess that for many of you who are followers of Christ, you might honestly say there was another time in your life when you were more into the things of God than you are today. And so I would ask you to acknowledge specifically and honestly, how have you lost your spiritual edge? For some of you, you might recognize there was a time when you had committed Christians around you that, that helped build you up and prayed for you and encouraged you in the things that mattered most. But when you look around right now, you may have some kind of Christian friends, but they're not really building you up in the things of God, and you've lost your edge because of that. Some of you, there was a time when you served in our church, and, and, and you had the thrill of being used by God, making a difference with your gifts. And sometimes it was hard, but all the time it was fulfilling. And then you got busy and you stopped and you were going to get back to it, but you never did. And now you're missing something because you knew what it was like to be used by God. But now life is pretty much just about you. Some of you, there was a time when you had a passion for prayer. I mean, you would even get up early and you would pray long for lots of people. And now, quite honestly, you may pray over a meal every now and then when someone's watching or you may pray about the big things. But the truth is, you haven't prayed in a significant way in a very long time. Some of you, at one point in your life, you really loved to share your faith with other people. And you had a deep love for those who were outside the family of God. But something happened along the way. And even though you used to be really, really uh, trying to help others without Christ, now you can't even remember the last time you had a spiritual conversation with someone that is not a follower of Jesus. You lost your spiritual edge. Some of you, you might, when you're really honest, notice that your standards have eroded. Years ago, you had, had strong Christian values, and you thought, hey, I'm not going to do that because that's not pleasing to God, and that's not helpful to me, and then, I don't know, something happened. You got one set of friends, and they said, come on, come on, come on. And you're like, oh, okay, just this once, and then before long, you started cutting some corners and taking some shortcuts and, and doing some things that you probably shouldn't be doing, and now you wake up, and you're wondering, how did I get way over here? 
I have no idea what happened to me. I used to, and now look where I ended up. How have you lost your spiritual edge? The reality is that it can happen to any one of us because we have a spiritual enemy whose mission is to steal kill and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. In fact, I can tell you now that, that it really happened to me years ago. When I, I told you before that when I was um, in college, I met the grace of God in a way that transformed my life. And it was like, I mean, I was party, party guy, and then I was like Jesus guy overnight. Everything changed. Back, I played tennis in college, and I used to write bad words on my tennis racket because I was that big of a punk, okay? I was a punk. And then I got, I got saved, and like I, I wrote Jesus on my racket, crosses. And they're like, wow, you went and you used to, now you're, wow. And my wardrobe changed. I used to have like all the party fraternity shirts. And then I went down to the Christian bookstore, and I bought every cheesy, embarrassing Christian shirt they had. Every one of them. I mean, and, and I didn't even make it look cool because it was impossible. But it was like, you, you remember they used to say, you know, Coca-Cola, it's the real thing. I wore Jesus Christ. He's the real thing. I wore that all over my shirt. Uh, some of you remember the blonde-haired, blue-eyed picture of Jesus. Everyone had one for years, but they put it in their garage because they wouldn't put it in their house. The blonde hair. I found a blonde-haired, blue-eyed picture of Jesus on a watch. I had a Jesus watch. I had a he's the real thing shirt and a watch, and I wore it everywhere. And then I went to the bookstore and found these little gold cross pins that you could pin on your clothes. Nobody would buy those except for me. And I bought them by the dozens, only 99 cents. And I would wear them, and they were so ugly, people would compliment them. Not co they just, because they had to say something about them, like when someone gets a bad haircut. And you're like, did you get your haircut? I'm like, yeah, do you like it? Yeah. I love it. Sorry, God, I just lied. And, and that's what they would do with my cross pins. They're like, oh, I like your pen. And every time I would take it off and I'd say, oh, Jesus died on the cross for you and he wants you to have this. And I would give it to them and share the gospel. And they would look at me funny. And I did it again and again and again. Why? Because my life had been transformed. I was a new creation in Christ. And I loved God so much. My biggest dream, my biggest prayer was, God, could I ever serve you as a pastor, and one day I got to be a pastor. I was the associate pastor in charge of single adult ministries at First United Methodist Church, downtown Oklahoma City. I got to wear a robe on Sundays. I got to sit in a throne, at the, because that's what we did in the Methodist Church. We had thrones in the front. I got to say the Apostles' Creed, and, and I loved it so much, and I just knew being a pastor that my Bible would then hover above my desk as I studied. <laughs> that when you turned out the lights, I would glow in the dark because the anointing glows in the dark. And what I didn't realize is I had been called into a very difficult job that beat the life out of me. It's really hard. Uh, one of my mentors, Bill Heibel, said this one time. He said, the way I was doing the work of God destroyed the work of God in me. And that's exactly what happened to me. It's exactly what happened to me. I realized one time, I went up to pray before the church, and in the middle of my prayer, I realized I hadn't prayed personally all week long. I was praying publicly, but not privately. I, 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 I would study the Bible, but it was only to preach. There was no personal devotion. And in the middle of this season, God showed me very, very clearly what had happened. I'd become a full-time pastor 
and a part-time follower of Christ. And the reason it's so quiet right now is because many of you can relate. You become a full-time parent and a part-time follower of Christ, or a full-time business person and a part-time follower of Christ, or a full-time student and a part-time follower of Christ. You didn't mean to lose your edge, but you did. You didn't mean to stop praying with your spouse, but you did. You didn't mean to fall back into the old patterns and become addicted again, but you did. You didn't mean to drift from the love and the intimacy you had with God and wake up depressed and empty and hollow on the inside, but you did. You didn't mean to end up pursuing the emptiness of material possessions, but yet if you were honest, you'd realize it's exactly what you did. You didn't mean to become a part-time follower of Christ, but that's what happened. You lost your spiritual edge. What do you do when you're swinging away and the edge flies off? How do you get your edge back? I wanna look at this story with Elisha and the young prophet and apply symbolically two lessons about how we get our edge back. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. We need to be honest about where we lost it. Be honest about where you lost your edge. Verse six, the man of God, Elisha, asks, where did it fall? In other words, the ax head isn't gone, it's just where you left it. Where did it fall? And I would ask you, where did you lose it? Where did you start to lose your spiritual edge? You're all smart people, and if you look back, you can probably say, oh yeah, I remember when I took a wrong turn, I, I made some friends that were probably the wrong friends, or I started dating the wrong guy, you know, I mean, he was, like Craig said, he was a slushy, not a cherry limeade, you know, and he, he took me down. Uh, you know, maybe for you is you dropped a discipline, you used to pray, and you stopped. Used to be devoted to actually searching for God in his word, and then you stopped. You used to be a tither, and then you kind of got behind, and then you just, you stopped, and you wonder why I lost the joy of worshiping God and trusting him in that way. You used to, and then you stopped. You used to be involved in a, in a great community, a, a life group where others would speak into your life, and then you stopped. Some of you, perhaps you thought your secret wasn't gonna hurt anyone, but you didn't realize it wasn't really a secret because God knew it was really hurting you. Some of you, maybe you got hurt by somebody, someone in the church, maybe a minister, maybe some Christian, and you're like, hey, if they're gonna act that way, screw all them, I can't take this anymore, and, and you've allowed your heart to grow hard. You've blamed God over what someone else did. Be honest about where you lost it. For me, I'll just be gut level honest with you. Here's what happened to me. As a pastor, I started to care more about what other people thought about my spiritual life than I cared about my spiritual life. I cared more about the appearance than I did the substance and the reality. 
Be honest about where you lost it. The second thing that I believe this text would teach us is this. First, be honest about where you lost it. Secondly, with God's help, take back what you lost. With God's help, take back what you lost. Because our God specializes in helping you find what you didn't mean to lose. Verse 6 and 7, here we see it. When he showed him the place, where did you lose the axe head? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Then he said, lift it out. And everybody say, lift it out. Yeah. Say it again. Say, lift it out. Yeah. Touch somebody next to you and say, lift it out. Yeah. Now touch the person who was your second choice and say, lift it out. <laughs> lift it out, he said. Lift it out. Then the man reached out his hand and he took it. Lift it out. With God's help, lift it out. With God's help, take it back. With God's help, take back what you lost. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we studied the ditches. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. Last week, only God can multiply the oil, but he wants you to gather the jars. This week, only God can make the axe head float, but he wants you to lift it out. He wants you to take back what you lost as he brings it back within your reach. The moment you start to think, maybe I can get it back, I can promise you there will be a voice in the back of your head that says, oh, no, you can't get it back again. It's been too long, and you've gone too far. You've done too much, and you can never have it back. After all you've done, you've lost the best of what you could have ever had. I came here to tell somebody that with God, it's not too late to be the person that you could have been. It's not too late to get back what you thought you could never have again. It's not too late to have what you used to have and have even more of it with the power of our good God. You haven't gone too far and you haven't done too much because our God specializes in helping you find what you didn't mean to lose. What does he want you to do? He's going to make it within reach and you've got to lift it out. You've got to grab it back. You've got to go after it and get it. So here's what you do. You do what you can do and you trust God to do what you cannot do. That's so good, I'm gonna say it again because somebody missed an opportunity to get into this message with me. You simply do what you can do, and you trust God to do what you cannot do. Can you make an ax head float? You can't do that, but can you lift it out when he brings it within reach? Yes, you can. Can you create in your own spirit spiritual passion and faith? You can't do that, but we do know faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God, so you can put yourself in a place where you hear God's Word, and so God can build your faith. You know that God hears and answers prayers, so you can choose to pray even when you don't feel like it, and you can choose to worship even when you don't Feel like it. And you can choose to share your faith with other people even when you don't know all the answers to the questions you're asking right now. And you can search for God again, and when you seek him, you will find him. Scripture says you take back what is available to you. I love what Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5 says. Jesus was speaking to a church of people who are maybe where many of us are today. He said, you have forsaken the 
love you had at first. Then Jesus said, consider how far you have fallen. What did he say to do? He said, repent. In other words, say you're sorry, turn back, come home, turn from your sin, turn from your apathy, turn from your complacency, repent and do what? All of our churches say it aloud. He said, repent and do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. In other words, if you want what you once had, you gotta do what you once did. When he causes it to float, you reach out and lift it out. You do what you can do, and you trust him to do what you cannot do. This was my story. I was so passionate for the things of God, and I never thought it would go away. And guess when it went away? When I was serving him in church. When externally everything looked good, but internally it was not what it once was. So what did I do? After recognizing it, I went back and did what I did at first. I recommitted to those things that brought the passion and brought the life and brought the faith. And not only did I recommit, but I committed to even more. And let me tell you just a little bit about the process. One of the things I had to do in my mind, I got out of our country and went to another place to shake my settled soul and get to a place where I was disturbed by how satisfied and content some people were who had nothing and let that rattle me on the inside. I held a little baby that very likely did not make it more than a few days after I was there, a baby that could have lived and should have lived if we had done our job as the global church and getting medicine into a place that could have prevented the loss of this life. And I let that mess me up. I let it bother me. I let it, I let it, I let it bring up divine anger inside my spirit. And I let God use that to fuel me to want to do more good to help people in this world. I committed to a long fast to deny myself physical nutrition so spiritually I could connect with God. I increased the percentage of what we were already giving well above a tithe just to remind myself that my life is not in the things of this world, but my investment is in the glory and the kingdom of our good God. And I increased that even beyond where I already was. And I made a commitment to seek God first every single day. And every time I met someone who showed any sign of not being a follower of Jesus, I would make in even the smallest way a twist, a turn in the conversation to reveal who I was as a follower of Christ in case God wanted to open a door to take the conversation further. And let me tell you what God did. When I reached out, he brought the edge within grabbing distance, grabbed it back, and now when I preach, I preach on the overflow of the passion for the kingdom of God to bring him glory to reach people who need to know him and to help people who are hurting around the world. And it's fresh and it's real even at this moment because God specializes in helping us get back what we didn't mean to lose. I don't know how this will apply to you. I don't know how this will apply to you. But God wants to help you get back what you didn't mean to lose. You do what you can do. Trust God to do what you cannot do. Our God has got a restoration. 
Our God is a God of restoration. The book of Joel says that he'll, he'll help restore the years that the locust has eaten. There's a verse in Proverbs 6 that says, when an enemy steals something, he's got to pay it back seven times. Some of you feel like you've been robbed by your enemy. Guess what? Just tell him you're paying back with interest seven times over. You thought I was hot back then? I'm coming back seven times hotter. Because our God specializes in helping bring back what you didn't mean to lose. One of my favorite stories of restoration in the history of our church um, is the pastor who is the pastor at my location from where I teach. His name is Chris Beal, Chris and Cindy Beal. If you've ever heard Pastor Chris teach before, you will know uh, part of his story. And uh, you've heard the story from his perspective, but I've never told it from mine. When we hired Pastor Chris on over 12 years ago, he was an answer to prayer, solving a significant problem that we had. What I didn't realize is when Pastor Chris came onto our staff, he came on with some significant sexual problems. And none of us knew, but at that time, he was committing adultery on his wife. And when I found out, I was devastated. We had never had a moral failure at our church, and I, I felt like all the, I felt like I'd been just hit in the stomach and couldn't breathe, I was devastated. The good thing I saw was that he was not just remorseful, but he was deeply repentant, and you could see. And so because he was in a public role, it demanded a public explanation, and I told our church, and I preached on Elisha, Elisha healing Naaman, who was sick of leprosy. Leprosy's always been a type of sin. And I preached on the word restored, because when he was dipped in the Jordan and came out seven times, his skin was restored. The Hebrew word that's used as restored is the word shub, which literally means to be made better than new. And I told our church that if he would stay humble and repentant, before um, the leaders of the church, and if his wife was full of enough grace to stay with him, that God could make their marriage better than new, and perhaps one day, by the grace of God, we would even restore him to ministry, and his ministry would be made better than new. God is my witness some 12 years later. I've never seen a marriage go from so broken to so strong and so healed, and I've never seen God use someone who was so dark and is now so full of light. Because, why? Because our God specializes in bringing back what we didn't mean to lose. What the enemy meant for evil, our God used for good. And I don't know where you are or how you're hurting or how you've drifted or how far you've gone, but our God wants you to know you haven't gone too far. You can be the person that you were meant to be because our God specializes in helping people find what they didn't mean to lose. Deuteronomy 30 verses 3 through 5 says, God, your God, will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places you were scattered. No matter how far away you end up, God, your God, will get you out of there and bring you back to the land your ancestors once possessed. It will be yours again. He will give you a good life and make you more numerous than your ancestors. Why? Because we serve a God who specializes in helping people find what they did not mean to lose. That's how good our God is. When he makes the axe head float, you lift it 
out. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a divine healing work in our hearts today. As you pray at all of our different churches, those of you who would say, I had it and I lost it. There was a time I was more passionate than I am now. There was a time I was more intimate than I am now. There was a time when I was more on fire than I am now. There was a time when I cared more than I care now. I lost it and I want it back. With God's help, I'll lift it out. I want my spiritual edge back and I want it with interest. I want it with even more. All of our different churches, would you lift up your hands right now? In a moment of honesty, lift up your hands right now. There are more of you than that. Just be real honest. This is your chance to say, God, I had it and I lost it. With your help, I want it back. Hands going up at all of our different churches today and church online. Father, I pray that at this moment that there would be divine spiritual breakthroughs. God, I pray that tears would even flow right now God, that we would break even before you, recognizing just how far we've fallen. God, we repent and commit to do the things that we once did, to have the faith that we once had. God, even though we may not feel anything, we may not even fully know what we believe, God, we commit to seek after you. God, we will do what only we can do, and we will trust you, God, to do what only you can do. And God, we pray that you would restore the spiritual passion to a greater place than we've ever had before. God, that we would be so overflowing with your love that everywhere we go, people would want what we have. Your grace, your goodness, your presence, your power, and your spirit. God, help us find what we didn't mean to lose. God, for those who are in deep darkness, we thank you that your light pierces the darkness and light always wins. God, help us to be restored to where we were before with even more passion to live fully for you. As you keep praying today at all of our churches, nobody looking around, there are a lot of people who had it and lost it, but there are a lot of people who've never had it at all. You've never had the joy of knowing you're forgiven by Christ. You've never had the power available to you by our good God. You've never experienced the supernatural peace of God which transcends your human ability to understand. What, what is the problem? So many of us go through life and we kind of believe in God, we kind of go to church, we kind of try to do good things, but we end up doing bad things. We never fully realize that because of our sin, we've been separated from a holy God. But because of his goodness, he sent his son Jesus, who was without sin, to become sin for us on the cross, to die, and to be raised again from the dead so that anyone, and that includes you, who calls on his name would be transformed, spiritually healed, and totally forgiven. At all of our churches, there are those of you who would say, I've never had all those things you talked about, but I want it. I need his forgiveness. I want to live for the things that will outlast me. I want to know the assurance that I belong to him, that my life is not my own, but I am living it to bring him glory. At all of our churches, those of you who say, yes, I need his grace. Yes, I need his forgiveness. Yes, I need his salvation today. I turn from my sins and I turn toward him. He will make you new. That's why you're here today and you know it. All of our churches, those of you who say, that's me. I need his grace. I give my life to him. Lift your hands high right now all over the place. Lift them up and say, yes, 
That's my prayer. Right back over here, both of you guys, praise God for you. Others of you who say me too, here in the middle section, and right back there as well. Thank you, God. Right back there, hand high up with a big smile. Others who would say yes, over here on this side, God bless you. Church online, you all click right below me. Others of you who say yes, I need his grace. I need his mercy. Right back there, both hands toward the back. Thank you, God, for those calling on you. Right back over here as well. Would you all pray with those around you, all of our churches, pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died for me, and he rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Somebody get really loud. Worship God. Welcome those born into the family of God.